Uh, Turn with me uh, then in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. And this will conclude our summer series on the parables of Jesus. And we'll be looking at uh, this morning at the parable in my Bible and probably in yours. It is entitled or labeled The Labors in the Vineyard. The Parable of the Labors in the Vineyard. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And let us give careful hearing to the reading of God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them to his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around and he said to them why have you been standing here idle all day long and they said to him because no one hired us and he said you go into the vineyard too when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last group to the first when he when those hired about the eleventh hour came Each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving to us this great gift. It's so easy for us to take it for granted. Most of us have Bibles laying all over our houses. And we fail to remember what a great treasure it is that we have before us the living word of the living God. And that you have given to us your word by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You've preserved your word for us through the years. You have kept your word without error. And Father, we know that it holds full authority over us in our lives. And as we pray this morning for a deep sense of humility together as we come before you. And we pray that you by the Holy Spirit would be our great teacher this morning. And that you would teach us from your word that which we need to hear and what we need to know. We might apply it to our lives so we might become more like Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I've chosen to end this uh, 
series of sermons on the parables, I hope, on a high note. You know, some of, some of the parables, uh, I guess you realize now, can be quite convicting. Uh, they point out such things to us as the reality of our sin, our lack of uh, proper stewardship of what God entrusts to us, our pride, our sense of self-righteousness, our tendency to focus so often on material things instead of spiritual things, and our failure many times to be concerned about the needs of others. The parables, you see, tend to show us how far we are from where Christ wants us to be and how we need help to get there as we seek to live our lives for him and in obedience to him. But this parable this morning is all about grace, God's wonderful grace. I tried to pick some hymns this morning that sang about God's grace. Now we've seen evidences of his grace in some of the other parables. We saw it, for example, in the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, where the owner of the sheep and the coin diligently searched for what was lost and rejoiced when what was lost had been found. We saw evidences of his grace in the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call the parable of the prodigal father, the benevolent father who stood waiting, looking, hoping, watching, and rejoicing when his wayward son returned home. We saw it also in the parable of the persistent widow. By contrast, when we saw how God inclines the ear, his ear, to the cries of his people, when we persistently come before him and ask him for what we want and need and the help that we desire. Well, I believe we see it even more clearly in the parable that I read for you this morning from Matthew 20. We sang earlier in our service, God is so good. God is so good. And if there's anything else I want you to see this morning, it is that God is good. He is a good God who does good things for his people. God opens the windows of heaven and pours out his blessing upon his people. He is good to us through the grace of Christ. And this parable is a parable of grace. It's a, it's a parable of God's mercy and of his grace. And so I want you to know that this morning. I want you to believe that this morning. I want you to treasure that this morning. God is good. God is good to you, and God is good to me. Three things from this parable this morning. First, again, I want us to begin by looking at the context in which we find it. If you look back to the previous chapter, back to chapter 19, and in verse 16, you'll, you'll find the encounter Jesus had with the individual that we know as the rich young ruler. And that young man came to Jesus in verse 16 of chapter 19 and said to him, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now his question reflects a works-based sense of salvation. Now there were many people in Jesus' day, and there are many people today, who had that same kind of mentality. They wonder what it is 
they have to do to earn, to merit, to achieve, or to possess eternal life. Now, in the answer that Jesus gave to the young man, he made it clear to him there was nothing he could do. Jesus gave him something to do, which was far short of the requirements for salvation, but the young man realized he wasn't even able to do that. And so we're told that he went away from that conversation very sad. Well, the disciples were listening to that conversation, and Peter heard what was said, and Peter, being Peter, asked Jesus a question. Now, to be honest, it wasn't an inappropriate question, but Peter was inclined to ask inappropriate questions or say inappropriate things from time to time. And basically, if you look at verse 27 of chapter 19, Peter said to Jesus this, We have left everything to follow you. We have made a big sacrifice to be your disciples. So what do we get in return? What is in this for us? Now Jesus, in his answer to Peter, did say again that those who followed him, and especially those who sacrificed a lot to do that, would receive rewards in heaven. I mentioned last week, there is some sort of system of rewards in heaven. We don't know exactly what that will look like. But you need to understand that those rewards are not given for achieving salvation. Christ alone achieved your salvation and mine through his finished work on the cross. There's nothing you can add to it, nothing you can contribute to it. We simply receive it as a gift. That's what we read in Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith. All praise and all glory and all honor in heaven will go to Christ because he achieved our salvation. Whatever rewards we receive in heaven will be based on what we did post-conversion after we came to faith in Christ. But notice what Jesus said to Peter at the very end of that conversation, verse 30 of chapter 19. That many who are first will be last, and the last first. Then if you look again to verse 16 of chapter 20, which is the last verse in our text, Jesus says the same thing. So the last shall be first, and the first last. And what I want you to see in the context this morning is that that phrase about the first being last and the last being first surrounds this parable. The last verse before Jesus taught it, or Matthew records it, it is the last, or the first verse after Jesus concludes it. And so this parable must be seen in the context of that phrase, of what Jesus says about the first being last, and the last being first. Now that principle, as you know, is countercultural. That is not the way we do things. But you know, God does things His way and not ours, doesn't He? Isaiah 55 tells us, God Himself says, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. The only way 
that this kind of thing can happen. The only way the last truly can be first is through grace, through something that is undeserved. And that's what this parable teaches. It teaches us about the undeserved grace of God in Christ. You see, heaven is a free gift. There is nothing you can do to earn it or to deserve it. Heaven is a free gift. Not a result of works, lest, as again Paul says in Ephesians 2, no man should boast. Now, let's face it. There are going to be some surprises in heaven. There are going to be some people who will be conspicuously absent. People who you thought for sure would be there who aren't. And you're going to be surprised to see some people that you didn't expect. Remember the passage I referred to last Lord's Day in my sermon from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about many on the day of judgment who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Did we not do all this in your name? And what will Jesus say to them? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. One of the most frightening passages in all the Bible because it talks about people who have lived a life of self-deception, who've lived a life of deceiving others. And and to be honest with you, these are the, the pastors and the teachers and the missionaries, the seminary professors, who base their salvation on what they have done and not on the grace of Christ, who went by a mentality of merit and not grace. And that brings us to this parable, which is all about grace. We need, secondly, to look at the story of the parable itself. And again, it is quite simple. There was a man, a landowner, a wealthy landowner, He had land, he had vineyards on that land. And in the parable, he is going to the marketplace early in the morning to hire some laborers. He needed some extra help. We're not told in the text exactly why he needed it. If he was planting a new vineyard, pruning an existing vineyard, harvesting his crop, each of which would have required a lot of help. But regardless, the reason, he needs some day labor since he goes to the marketplace to hire some. You see, men who were basically unemployed, who needed to work, would, in that day would go to the marketplace and they would hang out. And men who needed workers would go to the marketplace looking for them. And they would hook up at the marketplace and men would get hired there. Uh, the workday commonly in that day was from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. And so early in the morning, we're told, at the sixth hour, uh, this man goes to the marketplace and he looks for some help. And he finds some. 
And we're told in verse 2 that he uh, agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day. Work all day, I'll pay you a denarius. That was a fair wage in that day for a day of work. Well, the man goes back, we're told, at the ninth hour, 9 o'clock in the morning. Apparently, there was uh, more work uh, to be done that he had men to do it, and so he needs additional workers. He goes back uh, to the marketplace, and he says to others who are there, you go also into uh, the field, into the vineyard, and work. And he doesn't agree uh, to them for a set wage, but he says, whatever is right, I'll pay you. Clearly, the man had a good reputation because these men trusted him to do what is right. They went to work. Well, uh, he came back at the at noon. He came back at three o'clock, and he hired more men. And now, by now, you get the idea that maybe this man really doesn't need the help, but he's more concerned about these men who need the work. And, and you get that idea even more because he goes back at the fifth hour or at five o'clock, the eleventh hour. The eleventh hour he goes back uh, to work, to buy more, to hire more workers. It's just an hour from quitting time. And he goes to them in verse six and says, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said, because no one hired us. He said, well you do, go to, go to my field to work. Now, it's, it's a bit odd, isn't it, to see a man hiring laborers so late in the day. But what is really unusual happened at the end of the workday, when the work was done. It was customary in those days for these kinds of laborers, day laborers, to be paid at the end of each day. In fact, the Old Testament law required the Jewish uh, men to pay their laborers at the end of each day. The Old Testament says... The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor, and his heart is set on it. So this landowner tells his foreman, you get the men together, and you pay them. Now, typically, you paid those who were hired first, and then you went down the list. This man does it the opposite way. He begins with those who were hired last. And he brought in those who were hired at 5 o'clock. They were worked only one hour. And he paid them a denarius. He paid them for a full day. We assume he did the same with those who were hired at 3 o'clock and at noon and at 9 o'clock as well. Well, those who were hired at the first thing in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, were watching this, and they saw the generosity of the landowner, and by the time their opportunity to get paid came, they were feeling pretty good about themselves. They were optimistic. In fact, the Bible tells us, verse 10, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But they didn't. They received the same amount as those who'd worked only an hour. And as you can imagine, they were unhappy. Verse 11 tells us when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. And they told him, verse 12, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden and the scorching heat 
of the day. What the landowner had done did not seem fair to them. Listen to what the landowner said to them in verse 13. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Well, that's the parable. Finally, we need to try to come to some understanding of the meaning and the application of this parable uh, to our lives. Maybe we should begin by renaming this parable. I'm kind of into renaming the parables this summer. Maybe we ought to rename this parable the parable of the generous landowner instead of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Because the the focus really is not on the, the workers who grumbled as much as it is on the landowner who was so generous with what was his to give. I want to lay before you two points of application as we conclude. One is what this parable teaches us about God. And that certainly is the focus of this parable because the landowner in this parable clearly pictures God for us. It's a beautiful picture of God's heart, of God's benevolence, of God's generosity, and of God's grace. Over and over again, the Bible presents God as gracious and generous and benevolent. As I said earlier in my message God is a good God. He does good things for His people. He pours out His blessings upon us. Where would we be this morning? Where would you be? Where would I be without the blessings of God in our lives? He blesses His people, but it's not just just believers. God blesses all kinds of people, doesn't He? You know, when the rain falls, it doesn't just fall on the yards of believers. I'm almost to the point where I wish it would just fall on the, on the neighbor's yard instead of my yard. I've gotten so much rain. But it, it rains on everyone's yard, doesn't it? When the sun rises, and it is shining out there now, when the sun shines, it shines on the homes of believers and unbelievers alike. God in His common grace is good to everyone, even to those who are undeserving. And that's the key word for you to hang on to this morning. Undeserving. We are undeserving of God's grace and of God's favor. And you see, that is so many times our problem because so many times we're like the rich young ruler, aren't we? We want to know what is it that we have to do in order to have eternal life. Or we're like Peter. And we want to know, you know, I, I've given up a lot to serve Christ. What's in this for me? What am I going to get out of this? Or we're like the workers who grumble because God is, seems to give more to somebody else than He did to me. The wonder of God's grace is that He gives us what we don't deserve. And the more you realize how undeserving you are, the more you will appreciate 
the grace of God in your life and rejoice of the, in the expressions of that grace as he gives it to others. But the other point of the parable is what it teaches us about ourselves. And to be honest, what this parable teaches about ourselves is not very flattering. Many times we are often like this, those disgruntled workers, aren't we? Who complain because those who worked less got paid the same. On the surface, you know, it, it does seem like what the landowner did was not fair. From our human, man-centered perspective, it's not right, is it? For someone who just got or just worked an hour to get paid the same as those who worked 12 hours. There is something that makes us a bit sympathetic for those who worked all day, isn't there? And in the strict sense of labor relations, it wasn't fair. A person should be paid according to the amount of work that he does or she does. However, this is not a parable about economics about personnel management, or about labor relations, this is a parable about the generosity and the grace of God. This is how the kingdom of God operates, not the kingdom of the world. And again, Jesus began the parable saying that very thing, for the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a landowner who paid the same amount to those who worked an hour and those who worked all day. Remember, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom operates on different values, different principles. The kingdom of this world, you see, operates on merit. The kingdom of heaven operates on grace. And again, isn't that often where we run into big problems? That's where I run into big problems sometimes, because I tend to think more like the world than I do like the kingdom of heaven. I tend to think more in terms of merit than I do in terms of grace. You know, there are many times when we rise up just like these disgruntled workers and say, that's not fair. Not fair? By whose values? By whose principles? By whose standards? Is it not up to God to do exactly what He desires with what is His? Is it not His right to give to whomever He wants what He wants to give them? And this is especially pertinent to those of us, I say those of us, and many of you are like me, those of us who grew up in the church, who were converted at an early age, who've been faithful, diligent, and serving the Lord for a long time. We begin to think, don't we? We begin to think somehow we deserve God's blessings. The same how God owes us. We are often like Peter. What's in this for me? And then when someone who hasn't been a Christian very long, who hasn't earned their stripes, as we might say, gets a blessing or an opportunity for God, for, from God, we tend to be envious or jealous. As 
the landowner said, Is your eye envious because I am generous? And if we're envious of what God does in the life of someone else, even if they may be a young convert, a young person in the faith, it prevents us from sharing in their joy and rejoicing in what God has done in their lives. What if God chooses to save a man on death row? Maybe it's on the day of his execution. And someone comes in to share the good news of the gospel with this condemned prisoner. And his eyes are opened. And he embraces the truth. And he receives Christ. What if God chooses to save that man, even though he may be only a Christian in this life for a few hours, he will experience the same joy of heaven as someone who was converted as a child. He will spend the same length of time in heaven, all eternity, sharing the glory and the blessing of the holiness of God as those who bore the heat and the burden of the day. What if God chooses to use a young man in the ministry and places him in a position of great leadership and prominence in the church as a young man? Are we to be envious of God's generosity? No, we are to share in his joy even those who have served long and faithfully, yes, sometimes in the burden and the heat of the day, to share in that joy. What if God should bring someone into North Point, a new person into this church who has significant gifts, and those gifts become evident? And that person soon is recognized by those gifts. And God begins to use that person in positions of leadership in this church, ahead of those who may have been in this church for a long time. What if God chooses to do that kind of thing? Are we to be envious of God's generosity? No, we are to rejoice. Because you see, the gospel is not about merit. The gospel is about grace. And whatever you have is far more than you deserve. And whatever I have is far more than I deserve. And God in His grace chooses to give freely, benevolently, lovingly to you. And God in His grace chooses to give freely and lovingly and benevolently to me. is good, isn't it? To give us so much more than any of us deserve. Let's rejoice in that goodness today and marvel in the wonder of
that grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray for all of us that we would be able to rejoice in your goodness and in your graciousness to us as your people. We deserve nothing, and yet we receive so much. And for that, we give you all the praise and all the glory in all the things. As we go from this place this morning, would you remind us of the wonder and the marvel and the beauty and the glory of your grace to us in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.